Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we, we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. 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 Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life in, in New, New York, York City. City. I am Connor McDowell. And I'm Dylan McDowell. And oh boy, it has been a minute. Probably the longest we've gone without recording because we randomly, randomly, randomly had all these guests who were like, I really want to do your show. I want to do it. I want to do it. We just couldn't handle it. Um, so we backlogged. And what a what a blessing and an odd <laughs> moment in history because usually we record week to week. I know, which keeps it very fresh. But in a way, because we didn't have to worry about recording every single week, I was honestly grateful for the time for us to be able to really get our shit together. And it needed to get together. I mean, absolutely. It's, it's been absolutely crazy just how much of like a wake-up call this has certainly been for, I think, the world. Um, but I do know that like, you know, we're recording this during Pride Month, but this is obviously going to come out in the month of July. But we do want to just say happy Pride to everyone and we need to remember that Pride was started by a Black trans woman. And it has been a movement that is it, very, very near and dear to us. And I hope that in, in the midst of all the change and the positive change as we're becoming better anti-racists and working towards defunding the police and everything else that we need to do, that we're taking the time to really like pay homage and tribute to all of those whose shoulders we stand on. I 100% agree. And I guess before we dive in with our guests, I just, I do have to say like uh, to echo what you said about having not recorded for a few weeks, it's been nice to not be distracted with the podcast so that we can do a lot of reading. I've been listening to other podcasts and staying engaged on how to, you know, be a better ally, unlearn racist behavior. It's been a challenging experience, but certainly a terrific experience. And most of all, I do think it's been motivating because we we do have a platform here where we can raise up black voices and artists and art. And, you know, although we do fo- tend to focus on Broadway, um, it's all involved. And I think I want to give us and I want to give our listeners the permission to be honest and make mistakes and be messy. And um, so if we say or do anything, I want to learn from it. And I promise to do the same to other people. And hard conversations are usually the ones that are worth having. And we're consistently trying to put in the work and we hope that everybody continues to try to grow demand justice just a reminder that brown and taylor only one of her murderers has been fired the other two nothing's even happened and i don't know so we need to continue to demand justice protest and allow this time in history to be a true turning point personally and yeah i suppose globally just to change the world for the better okay yes and I'm monologuing, so I'm sorry. We're, of course, going to include information about this in the episode notes, and our social media has been constantly including things, but I hope that everyone continues to stay engaged. And, you know, as we just move forward, we're here, and we're all going to be in this together. Whew, okay. I feel like we've just monologued, and it was, like, truly bizarre. So I'm just going to bring in our guest, who I am stoked to bring on. Connor, has, we have been chasing this guest on our list in the least. 
forever because Connor, it, it involves a place where he previously worked and in, in his workplace. And every time we're talking about people that we want, Connor goes, what about this person? And we always have said that this show is very strict about the way that they let thing, let us get a peek behind the curtain and whatnot. And so now I feel like was the right time. I don't know. It's, is that an okay thing to say? I think so. I okay, think okay. so. Because we've both always been kind of like, if we've worked with the person, is it okay to like talk or not worked with, but around? You know what I mean? I, I never want to like feel like I'm using my connections strangely or whatever. But then I just realized, you know what? Sometimes you just got to slide into the DMs. So anyway, you do. I'm going to bring in our guest. Let's do it. Okay. So our guest today is perhaps one of our most versatile and multifaceted yet with 19 years in the entertainment business as an actor, model, and fashion editor on Broadway. He's been seen in the original company of Disney's Frozen as King Agnar in Rocky, Ghost, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Memphis, The Little Mermaid, The Color Purple, Wicked, The Producers, The Frogs, and The Lion King. Oh my God, I literally think that you are, you have the legacy robe of our guests that we've had. That's what it's called, right? Legacy robe? Um, Okay, so you'll recognize him from television performances on The Wendy Williams Show, The Wiz Live, Peter Pan Live, Mysteries of Laura, Forever, Mr. Robot, and The Get Down. And okay, so in addition to being a graduate of Brown University, has a background in psychology, contributing to his designer work for creating a positive self-image in fashion, recently coached the legendary Venus Williams in dance class. He is TikTok famous. Yes, we're crossing over into every single entertainment sphere here. And of course, most recently has been seen on Broadway as Bane in Harry Potter and the Cursed Child parts one and two. He's the other James Brown. Please welcome to drama, James Brown the third. <laughs> what an introduction. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I need to take a breath because that was, I'm exhausted. The water, you know, rehydrate. <laughs> James, how the heck are you? Oh, I'm so good. I'm, I'm so great despite and in spite of the moment that we're living in. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're very thankful that you took the time to do this between, you know, as Connor mentioned, your TikTok um, career, I guess we can call it, that's going on. <laughs> You've really continued to push out content despite not being able to be on Broadway in the moment. Yeah. And if people didn't know your name, know you by name before, like when they see that we dropped this episode, they will know who you are because of your TikToks. I mean, <laughs> so many have gone like viral. Yeah. It's, I want to uh, jump into that and just, <laughs> we need to talk <laughs> about it. When did this begin for you? Um, well, Oddly enough, I created the account um, right before COVID started. So probably like the first week of March, Um, just because I really wanted to understand what the platform was. I really didn't, you know, my little brother who's 16 is like all about it. So I downloaded it and I was like, oh, I see. I see what this thing is. I understand it. Um, And then, but then once quarantine began, um, I was like, I need to create. And because I am start I've, for the last year, I've been writing and taking a lot of classes in TV and film writing and becoming a actual, an actual writer. I was like, I need to create a brand for myself um, that involves my social media career that really brands myself as a writer, as a content creator, as someone who can tell stories um, uh, using real life issues but finding a way to to bring the joy to them um and so that is 
basically what I've been trying to create with my, my TikTok um, uh, platform. <laughs> well, they're phenomenal. And they're also like informative and very socially conscious, like especially all of the ones just about everything going on with the different protests. And it's, yeah. it's been phenomenal. The, the one with all the different protest signs, or I guess it's a series you it's did. A series. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, like people are funny. <laughs> people are really funny. And, and I think, you know, some of those signs that I initially saw, I just found them to be both um, super uh, interesting and really right to the point. But like my sense of humor, they were like kind of dark. Some of them are like sexual, you know, and, and so it just felt right to create like a little space for, of like my favorite ones. And after I did the first one, um, it just blew up and my followers really loved it. And they kept being like, we need another. Or some people would start sending me ones that they thought were really funny. Um, and so then I just, you know, and, and that's one of the big things about TikTok is like tick, the TikTok algorithm likes good content and it will keep pushing out good content. And so it had proven that that was good content to the algorithm. And so I kept doing it. <laughs> well, we love it. I hope that it continues. I know, I'm sure it will. <laughs> and also, you've been like posting them from this gorgeous apartment that I want to live in. If, you know, if you ever need someone to like, you know, um, water your plants, um, yeah. I'm happy to come from Cleveland and just chill there for a little while. It was the, um, the biggest blessing ever to have my place down in Miami. Um, you know, March 12th, they shut Broadway down. March 13th at 6 a.m. I was on a flight down there because, you know, I know that I have space. I have an, you know, I have a balcony. And so, mm -hmm. Um, and it's been great because my, my dad and my little brother came down as well. Um, and so we, the three of us just like, you know, all met up in Miami and we quarantined together for the last three months. Um, so that spending that time, especially with where the country is now, getting to spend that time with like the two most important black men in my life to be able to, you know, we work out every morning together. We cook dinner every night together. Um, you know, we, my dad and I sit around the table every day and work, you know, he's working, I'm writing. Um, and it's just time that we wouldn't have had. And then to get into the Black Lives Matter movement, um, to be able to have really um, amazing conversations with these two men, especially with my little brother who's 16. And while growing up, obviously black, he also grew up charmed. And so there are aspects of the black experience that he doesn't necessarily um, relate to because in some ways money shields you from some of it. And so it's been really good to have the three of us there, like having these conversations, going to protests together, like in, and it's, it, it was, it was great. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. When is the, the last time that you even got to spend a significant amount of time with you? I feel like you've been working nonstop for the last 19 years. I mean, yeah, no, it's true. It's I mean, it, that's such a, it's so true. Like, I haven't spent this much time with either one of them, um, especially my brother, my brother's 16. So like I've been working, I was, you know, three years into my career when he was born. Um, and dad, it was, you know, high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? So where did you grow up then? Um, I grew up in um, Orange County, California, Dana Point. Yeah. And then um, when I went to Brown, uh, my parents moved back East. And so 
uh, they split their time between um, Maryland, Florida, and LA. Wow. Yeah. In a West Coast, best coast? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is inside of my heart. I feel that. I do. I just bring the, the West Coaster to my New York vibe. There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Okay, James. So we kind of already asked this, but something we do ask all of our guests is, are you well? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. Um, you know, choose joy is like a, a, a phrase that I use very often. It's like the end of all of my emails. Everyone who's like close to me, they know that that is my thing. And I really try to apply that to every aspect of my life and every circumstance that like that we're living in. And so with the coronavirus and with quarantining, while challenging it, it was definitely a time that I can I wanted to make sure that I could look back on these last three and a half months and say, I did this, I created this, this, this time was special because, and not look back on it as a, like a struggle, but really look back as the change, as the reset that I think mother nature's kind of um, intending it to be. And so, you know, and then it's so exciting, despite the fact that so many black lives have been lost and, we have been dealing with for over 400 years of oppression. Um, you know, that's something that I know and have lived with for 39 years. And so what we're, what's happening right now doesn't change that. But more importantly, it's actually we're living through the shift. We are going to be able to look back on 2020, knowing that it was a crazy year, but knowing that part of 2020 really changed the dynamic of how the world and the U.S. sees race. And that is super exciting, even amidst the deaths, even amidst the riots and the protesting and all of those things. The forward thinking part of it is that we are changing, you know. I absolutely love that. Someone said to me recently, they were like, I mean, we're quarantining in Cleveland, so Ohio has a mix of all kinds of opinions. Yes. You know what I mean? yes. Um, but somebody was like, oh my God, can you believe these protests? And I, I paused for a second. I was like, how exciting are they? Mm. I was like, isn't it amazing? And the person I was talking to was like, what, what do you, well, it was a family <laughs> member. Let's, let's also put it a family member. But like I said, like these hard conversations are worth having. And I was like, but think about it for a second. Like, how amazing is it that this is happening? And not to just echo exactly what you said, we have to honor the lives that have been lost. But still, like, this is the moment. I, yeah. I mean, as a privileged white person, as a privileged white gay person, I have complete, I thought I was doing a great job in my life. Like, you know, not being racist, you know, all these different things. But then you come to realize this is the society and the world that I was raised into and that I have spent the first, you know, 26 years of my life in. So there's always more learning to be done. I have every single day been reading something different and just trying my best because I think this is, this is going to, that I love that you said this is one of those great things that'll come out of 2020. Cause I yeah. think it is. Cause right when coronavirus hit, everyone was like, Oh, 2020 is a wash. 2020 is finished, mm -hmm. whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. Cause even thinking about it in terms of the entertainment industry, like I'm always going to wonder now, oh, and I always have wondered like, okay, why is there only one black character on this TV show? Are there black people in the writer's rooms? Are there black people filling the crew, everything? And yeah. I think even more now that needs to be where we're at. I, 
you know, I, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I do, I work on a really big Broadway show. We have these weekly client meetings. I look around at a room of 35 white people and they're having conversations about diversity. And I'm always thinking to myself, why isn't there somebody here that can actually speak to this lived experience? Yeah. And so hopefully I am just like, as the world, you know, as the, as coronavirus, hopefully a vaccine comes eventually, hopefully we can have people in the room to speak and be represented and share their stories and have opportunities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's oddly enough, I definitely think that <laughs> coronavirus created the space for this to happen because truly if the world were not sitting at home to see George Floyd die, we would not be in this place right now. It would, he literally would have just been another, you know, another black face that died. The Black Lives Matter, of course, would have protested, like the thing would have happened and, it, and then the next news cycle would have happened. And so coronavirus really forced everyone to see this thing happen and, and it forced people to have to act. And what I love about the idea of bringing the TV and film and Broadway into the conversation is that it needs to be said, it needs to be shown. And and part of what I've been doing as a writer and in a lot of the things I've been sending out and pitching are really pitching this idea that um, entertainment really needs to start to reflect the world that we live in, the US that we live in. And a big part of the US that we live in is diverse. And while it's important and fantastic that Black shows and Black films exist, what to me is more important is that Black people are shown doing universal things, loving, struggling, fighting in a world that exists. And so I want to see lead characters who are people of color in major shows doing, you know, universal things, not just telling a story that's specific to Black people. Because part of that problem with those kinds of stories is it makes it easier for someone who's not of color to, to say they don't relate to it because they don't respond to that story. And so that just furthers the us and them kind of men- mentality. Um, and so what we need to do is continue to create stories that really do reflect the lives that we lead. And, and that means creatives who are people of color. That means producers who are people of color. That means actors who are people of color. Um, and actually, just to tag the whole idea of it's also really amazing and so perfectly timed that this movement moved into Pride Month because the the movements are so closely tied together. Sure. And I also think that it is really important that the gay community, that the LGBT community takes a look at themselves in terms of their relationship to race because... Mm. I, as a black, queer, bisexual man, have always felt like the um, the gay community really suffers from a racism problem. And we call it prefer- preferentialism. You know, it's my preference. Um, you know, you see on dating apps, on those, you know, all those apps, you see the amount of times I've seen someone say like, no blacks, no Asians, no fats, no femmes. Like, and it's such a, um, such a negative way to put yourself out there. To me, it would make more sense to say what you want, what you're looking for, mm. as opposed to what you don't want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think that it really is is exciting that these things are really kind of clashing and, and making everyone look at at how they view race and how they view sexuality. James, I, I really appreciate your perspective on this because 
I, I mean, I did not, I did not realize all, all the different intersectionalities of your identity. And so I, and I obviously don't want to like assume that you're going to be like a mouthpiece here for us, but <laughs> it is so valuable to me to even have this conversation right now. And so thank you so much for saying that it's, yeah. And I remember back when I was on the dating apps, um, it would say, I, it felt like segregation on, totally. on the apps yeah. in general. Yeah. And so let, I mean, I know that Grindr is removing in their next update, they're updating something as far as like identity. Or I guess removing rid of the idea of race and stuff. Something, but I mean, we'll, I mean, it's a step, but like, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it certainly like needs to be a harder, like a bigger conversation than just that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just think that like, the conversation has to be had and really like part of the education process that's happening now for everyone is understanding that even if you never thought of yourself as racist, that we all have these little, you know, little to large um, aspects of the way we think mm -hmm. that, that are discriminatory. Right. We all have them. And for most of us, we've justified them somehow. And you know, the gay community has done it. And it's so um, hypocritical for a minority <laughs> to, you know, to, to do it to another minority. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, again, it makes you remember also, like, yes, there are a large gay community, but also the other aspect of them is that they have a lot of white privilege. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. You know? You know, and that's not, I'm, I'm not removing myself from, from that. I just, I, you know, it's just something that I always had to keep in mind when getting messages from someone that were really like, oh, <laughs> you, oh you're that bold. And mm. okay, great, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, and so the, the conversations are really necessary. And I put a TikTok out like maybe two weeks ago, maybe it was a week ago. Um, just like pointing out like all the messages that I've gotten from, you know, my white friends and family who were like, you know, all those, you know. Yes, I, I saw I saw this one. <laughs> obviously, like it's so appreciative. And I love that it was happening. And it's important to happen. Part of the conversations I was having with with them is saying, I'm happy to discuss where you are in terms of your relationship to race. But no two things. It doesn't end with just the conversation with the black friend that you have. And also, I'm if you're looking for me to um, coddle you, that also won't happen. In fact, I actually want you, I'm not going to try to make you feel better. Like, I want you to wallow and be guilty and feel like all those things that you're feeling, feel them all. <laughs> and even then, it's only a fraction of what like 39 years as a black man has been. And it doesn't mean that I want you to live the life of a black person, but it is not my job to make this whole thing better for you. And so I think that those conversations are really important to, to be having at this time. 100%. 100%. Extremely valuable. James, I can't believe you're, you're 39 also. <laughs> I know this is unrelated, but what fountain of youth are you drinking from? <laughs> I feel like I moved to New York and I aged like three years. So I have no idea how you're staying so youthful. Is it because you're built for the stage? <laughs> it's because I'm built for the stage. I love yes. that. Um, yeah, no, I think so, so much of it is genetic. My dad is 61 and my mom is, I mean, both of my parents are 60 and they both look like they're 45. Um, so there's that. 
I, I don't drink or do any drugs. I've never been drunk before, so I'm sure that's helpful. Stay ready. I, um, I, I, I drink lots of water. I love Kiehl's. I'm like, like a Kiehl's whore. Um, <laughs> and moisturize it. But also, I, think this, I like to say this because I think it's so inappropriate, but also real. I also think, you know, the whole like black don't crack thing, the unsupported reason for that is most black kids from the time that they can walk have been putting on lotion since then. Because mm-hmm. if we don't put on lotion, we look great. Like we literally, you can see the ash on a black person because that is just what our skin. And so uh-huh. as, so you just grow up moisturizing everything. And so the elasticity is very different if you've been moisturizing for 39 years, as opposed to if you start moisturizing when you turn 40, because you're like, I don't want to age. You know right, what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I do, I do have another question that sort of ties in both of these topics. So yeah. um, you obviously have had a lot of longevity in, in Broadway and entertainment. And I guess I'm curious what your experience has been as a black man over the last 19 years in the theater industry specifically. Yeah. And sort of a last part to that is, has it changed at all or Im- improved based on, I guess, what your original answer is? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. The Lion King was the first production contract I was on. And so obviously that experience is <laughs> kind of singular because oh, yeah. almost everyone in the cast is black. Um, and, and so, but that also was the beginning of my relationship with Disney and with Tom Schumacher over at mm-hmm. Disney. Um, and so, so I came into the business with an idea that certainly did not reflect the rest of, of Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the next show I was in, you know, it was like there was one black guy, one black girl. And so the beginning of my career, I did a lot of those because I had less choice. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I had less choice. And I'll be super honest, I don't mean anything by this because this person has been an amazing ally and, and an amazing director to me. But a lot of my, the beginning of my career was working with Susan Stroman. Mm. I love Susan Stroman. I love Stro. I think she's amazing. But the structure of the shows she was doing at that time were, you know, the producers, producers. it was one black guy, one black girl. That was the way the show was. Um, the Frogs was kind of a similar situation. Um, she is a part of the, like that, her kind of class of director, choreographer, Kathleen Marshall, Jerry Mitchell, like, Jerry Mitchell. you know, like, uh, Casey Nicola, like that was a time in like the early two thousands where that was just the structure of those shows. And, you know, I had to work, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was young. I knew I had create relationships with these people. And so I was able to kind of move from show to show, basically. I was a versatile as a performance. So the thing, you're putting up a multi-million dollar Broadway show. You want people in the room that you trust with the thing to help them create it. And so that was the door. Those were the doors that I got into early on. But then as I got more experience and had more ability to choose the things that I auditioned for and the, the people that I wanted to work with, um, I could start to reshape the types of shows that I was in, you know, like Color Purple, um, like mm. working with Alex Timbers, who's like wildly open-minded and, and really like inclusive, um, working for Disney multiple times because Tom is really, you know, really big on that. Um, and so I do think that the industry is changing a little bit, but it's not completely there. 
we do need more creatives of color. It's not just, you know, yes, Hamilton is great. It's great that Hamilton exists, of course. But I think that that's like an outlier. I think that it, that yeah. Hamilton can't speak for all of Broadway. Um, you know, so I think that it's important. And, and also what I think is important, you know, there's like a huge movement happening now with, with Black actors pushing back against the Broadway League and the producers. And I think that that fight is really, really important. But what I think is more important is that, A, that we're specific with the wants that we need, with what, like, actionable change. It's not enough to be like, this is what you've done to us in the past, and we need to see more Black voices. Like, there needs to be actionable ideas in place, and also really, truly pointing fingers. Because if you're just talking about Broadway at large, that doesn't make the producers who are actually guilty of the thing take a look inside they're not going to look inside and be like oh you're right i am you know we really have to like point the finger and 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 make people accountable for it um but i also think that it's important that we as a community understand that i can produce a broadway show no one's actually stopping me from producing a broadway show the thing that's stopping me from producing a broadway show is finances right Right. so (laughs) like building building that network if we want to see more people of color on stage, then we need to produce more content with people of color on stage and not just let that responsibility be on the current, you know, faces of Broadway, but really how can we do that thing? And so I'm interested in like also having that conversation. Yeah. It reminds me, I think it was when Viola Davis won the Emmy for how to get away with murder. I believe at the end of that, or maybe it was a different speech that she gave. She said, there are so many black directors and producers and creatives out there. You just need to give us a seat at the table and we will yeah. be able to create more roles. And, and that's it's exa- sort of exactly what you're saying too. I think that's really valuable to hear. And I hope that the different organizations that are calling for change have those actionable items included. Yeah, in I mean, it's, it's definitely starting to, to, to move in that direction, which is, which is great. You know, it's just a, it's a, it's a hard fight that we just got to keep pushing. Now, I do have a question about, you know, Frozen. I was so excited to see there was a lot of diverse choices in, like, you were literally playing Anna and Elsa's father. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, before the show closed, we had a Black actress playing Elsa. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that was amazing. And I, was that directed by, who directed Frozen? Uh, Michael Michael Grandage. Grandage. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I was like... When you, we had Aisha Jackson on, on our podcast, like months and months and months ago, and she was telling us just about how special and meaningful and profound it was to be playing a black princess on Broadway. When you were, you know, cast as the king, did it dawn on you like, oh my gosh, this is, they didn't have to do this or this could mean something to someone? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's really important for young kids to see themselves on stage, <laughs> you know, and especially because at the end of the day, we're we're just playing make-believe. <laughs> and even more so with Frozen, because we're playing make-believe in a make-believe world. Like, <laughs> Arendelle doesn't exist. The story of Frozen is not based on any anyone's life. And so... There's no reason why the stage could not reflect what life looked like. And there's no reason why I couldn't, me and an Asian woman couldn't have 
had two white children. <laughs> and then some days a white child and a black child. Um, <laughs> and some days a white child who grew up to be a black child. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And I'm sure that um, little kids didn't question it either. No, they don't question it because that's, that's the amazing thing about children is that their minds are so open. <laughs> They are so ready to, to play. They're so ready to dream and to imagine. And so they sat there and they watched the story of Frozen as they knew it. I'm sure at some point they acknowledged in their head that like it was all different colors, but we were playing the characters that they know. Mm-hmm. And sadly, that is what our education system beats out of us as we get older. Like we truly lose that, you know, that thing. And you know, and going back to my, to the idea of choose joy, like I've really been trying to, as actors, we need that. We, we like, that's something we shouldn't have ever lost. Mm. Right. The, that ability to like, to play in a black box and create this black box and make it a, you know, make it a fortress. And so I wish that other careers, how um, useful would that tool be in, in, in a science research lab? Mm you know, being able to dream to think outside of the box. So I think that's what the kids are doing. They're just sitting there watching this tale. And if we're doing our job right, they're not thinking about the color of our skin. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So kind of talking on that topic of being young and sort of like impressionable, we'd like to talk about a moment in our guest's career or life that we call the Ring of Keys moment, which is of course based on Fun Home. And in Fun Home, (laughs) it's about seeing someone and they um, young Allison saw in herself. But in this regard, we talk about when like the bell rang and you realized like that a career in the arts was for you. It could have been when you were a kid. It could have been a little bit later. And having looked at your bio, I know that you've had extensive experiences as an athlete and all these other things over the years, but would you say you have a ring of keys moment? Yeah, I think so. Um, It's like, maybe it's kind of like a three part, (laughs) like a three part moment. But so, when I was growing up, my dad and I, my dad would take me on a, like a, a weekend. We'd fly to New York and we'd like, just have like dad son time in New York. And even now thinking back on it, I really should ask him like, cause it wasn't my idea to go to a Broadway show every time we did it. It was his idea. So I, and at that time, like, I was like kind of doing, you know, drama, but it was, you know, I was like 11. Like what kind of drama are you really doing at 11? And so, we, you know, we would come to a show. And the first show we saw, we saw Kiss the Spider-Woman with the Vanessa Williams one. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. It was we fun. We Vanessa Williams. And like, <laughs> yeah. It was, and I like, I just remember thinking that was great. You know, I think the first couple we saw that, we saw Bringing the Noise, Bringing the Funk, like that was really exciting. But then Rent came out. And by then this is like my freshman year of high school, freshman, sophomore year of high school. And I was like really into drama. And so, you know, right when it came out, we knew the whole cast album. You could like sing literally everyone's part or whatever. And so my dad was like, okay, what do you want to see this, the weekend, our, our Broadway weekend? I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to see Rent. And so he was like, okay. And I always thought of my dad as liberal, but like, you know, like, I didn't have any reason one way or the other. Like I grew up a, like super boyish, playing sports, playing football. I dated girls. Like it, I just didn't have a reason to like even really know his political views. But then when we sat down and I re- remembered what the 
what it was about, I was kind of like, oh gosh, like what is he going to think about this thing? And I just remember looking over at him at the, like, the first, the opening number, and I could see him just kind of being like, huh. By the end of the first act, he literally was like this and bought the cast album at intermission. My dad bought oh, the cast album at intermission. Chills, chills. And so I was like, <laughs> He was on the edge of his seat for those of you listening at home. The, he, he was just enthralled in the show. That is La Vie Boheme. Yeah, just, I mean, yeah, totally was leaned forward. So, and then the next show we saw was Lion King. Um, and so it was the first year that both of these shows were out. And so I just remember being like, I have to be Simba. Like, I don't know what's happening. At the time, I think I was definitely still singing off pitch and like really didn't understand what pitch was. I couldn't point my feet, like, you know, whatever. I just knew how to make believe. But I wanted to be Simba. I wanted to wear that awesome mask. And like, he had like a beaded corset. He was just flipping around the stage. I just fell in love. I fell in love with theater. And even still, it wasn't the moment. Like at that point, I still was like, I'm going to Brown, you know, I'm pre-med. I was going to medical school. I took the MCAT, like I did the whole thing. And I got a psych research grant to do psych research on male dancers my first year after Brown. Part of that research was going to auditions. Michael Jackson was auditioning for his 30th anniversary tour, which ended at a you know this big special on CBS Mass Square Gardens. So I was like, great, I can both audition and like meet test subjects for my research. Long story short, I ended up getting the job. <laughs> of course. I'm now dancing with Michael Jackson. And on the Michael Jackson tour with me were two dancers who were taking a leave of absence from Lion King. And so then two days after, so the last concert with Michael was September 10th, 2001. September 11th happened the next day, and we were in at, in New York City, mind you, Madison Square Gardens. September 11th happened the next day, and two days after that, they still had the Lion King like open call for the first national tour. And the two friends of mine, they were like, "You have to go. Can you sing? You can sing. Oh yeah, you can sing. Great. You should go. You'll get it." And um, and next thing I knew, I was understudying Simba and uh, the dance captain of Captain. And then like a year later, I played Simba. It's great. What um, a wild, amazing series of events yeah. that led you. It's, it's crazy to think about you as seeing The Lion King for the first time and thinking, I got to play Simba. And then there you go. Yeah. Wow. That's really amazing. And that was, yeah, it must have been six, yeah, six years later. <laughs> so, so did you graduate from Brown? I was able to finish, but leave a year. I left a year early. Oh, Wow. Yeah, oh so I was, I was a junior when, um, or a, a rising senior, I suppose, Okay. when I got Michael and then Lion King, so I just didn't go back. And, you know, and I was like, at that point, I was like, well, A, I can finish school whenever, but like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what's the point, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't intend on being a doctor at this point anymore. Um, Maybe on Grey's. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I've played, I've played doctors plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I know that, like, you've had just this, unreal career of uh, just uh, many of my favorite shows color purple i love priscilla personally for you what is like your favorite broadway experience that you had i know that's such a mm. generic question but i just you have the shows that you have been in have touched so many people performed you've been on the tonys what four or five times i can imagine yeah yeah i think five times oh now. my goodness yeah. it, it's, it's really crazy it's it's weird to you know like 
really actually look back and be like, oh, I've, I have legit been doing this for 19 years. <laughs> so while the time has felt like it's flown, there are 19 years of experiences there. You know, the experience with doing The Color Purple was unreal. Be- one, because it was, it was my first time at the time being in a workshop of a show and like seeing it, like seeing it grow from this thing all the way to opening. And then actually having a revival. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and still actually being excited that I could probably, I could definitely still play the role that I originated back <laughs> you know, the first time around. But anyway, um, but the most exciting part of that obviously was that we were in rehearsal for the workshop. No, we were in production rehearsal or by this point. In production rehearsal, uh, our director was like, oh, just so you guys know, we're going to have some crews come in next week or tomorrow um, just to do some B-roll. So like, just wear something cute. We'll, sh- we'll show them, Af- we'll do all of Africa. At the time, the Africa number was 27 minutes long. It then got sh- cut down to 17. And then by the time we opened it, it was like 12 or something like that. I mean, it was yeah. still, but like 20, it was a 27 minute ballet of singing and dancing and like full out modern dance, like concert dance. Amazing. So that like, sounds amazing. Yeah. So he was like, we're going to show them Africa and then we might sing the color purple. It's just B-roll, but just wear something cute. We're like, okay, great, whatever. Next day comes, we all, you know, we're ready. We're warmed up because, you know, we're flipping. I mean, we were full out. So anyway, he's, the cameras, he was like, we're going to bring the cameras in. The cameras come in. And then they were like, oh, wait, hold on. There's, I think someone else is out in the, in the, you know, outside. So they open the door and Oprah walks in. And we were like, what? I knew you were going to say Oprah. I'm so- <laughs> like, and so the cameras were her cameras getting our reaction to her walking in the room. This oh my God. B-roll. This was reaction video so that she walks in the room and then announces to us that she was coming on board as our lead producer. Oh my God. Oh, the chill. And that oh. a week later, we were flying to Chicago to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was like, I mean, it just, it, you know, you can't write it. It was like we had, you know, we all have seen those Oprah moments, right? And we actually lived one. Oh, um, my God. And we really had no idea that it was happening. And so she really got our genuine reactions. And it was awesome. Be- you know, we flew out. To- we were on her show. The show, you know, she used to film her shows like at A and B, two shows a day. And the B show that day was her favorite things show. Oh, nice. <laughs> and we were the A show. And so, but she was around for the process. She, she and Gail were around. They would come in and kick their shoes off, you know, and like sit down. They knew all of our names. They, you know, we really were a part of this family that, you know, like the color purple was a huge aspect of her career. And so it was really special for her to then become a part of something, telling the story in a new way. And she really took that to heart and really um, was amazing. And so experience was awesome. We got amazing opening night gifts from her. And oh, I can imagine. Around. So that, you know, that's cool. Obviously, creating the role of King Agnar was amazing. Rocky was so unreal because the last 20 minutes of that show are probably the best 20 minutes of any show I've ever done in my life. But like creating Rocky, actually turning the Winter Garden into an arena <laughs> was Alex Timbers was such a visionary in that. And I really feel like that show didn't, yes, there were 
some flaws and things that could have been better. But like for the last 20 minutes alone, it was worth seeing the show. We somehow missed seeing Rocky. But I mean, I just remember seeing like some pictures of the way that it would all be transformed. And you, I mean, like the fittest cast that maybe was ever on Broadway. Like, oh, yeah. I remember there. Okay, I'm going to mess up the publication wrong. But there was some, there was some. It was out. Out, Max. Out. <laughs> It was, yeah, we we did a naked boxing shoot without, which actually was, you know, still to this day for the like hundreds of photo shoots I've done. Starbucks name, I think, is Cedric Terrell. He's awesome. But the stuff that he was able to get was so cool. Like it had such a mixed vibe of like sexy, but r- rugged. It was really cool. Yeah. That was probably the first time I ever saw you in the flesh. Oh, I mean. <laughs> Literally. And, and, and of course, know. Oak. Oak was a part of that as well. Oak, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and sucks. Adam Perry from Frozen. One yeah, of Connor's yeah, crushes. Perry. At list, Adam and I have, I think Adam and I have done like seven shows together. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. There's wow. a few people like that. Um, me, Daniel Watts, and Ephraim Sykes uh, did five shows in a row together. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so cool. You guys are, are always working, like truly. <laughs> okay. So I do have to ask about Wendy Williams before we move on to our final little totally. segment before the end. How did this, because this character is... Barbados Billy or Billy Barbados? Yeah, Barbados Billy. How did this come into your life? It came into my life because the artistic director of the Wendy show, he's um, like been a good friend and like through bears and like all that kind of stuff. And so he, um, Michael called, Michael, Michael Lee Scott called me. It was like, we were uh, right about to start our high, our, our hiatus between Denver Frozen and opening on Broadway. We had like a couple months in between. And he called me and was like, hey, so during November Sweeps Month, Wendy has this idea. And I'm just calling to see if like you'd be interested in like playing this guy. And I was like, sure, like, you know, why not? And so uh, it was only supposed to be like a couple days. And then because of the first couple days had gone so well, they like, Wendy started getting letters about people wanting to know more about me. And so they just kept putting me on the show. And I will say that was really the big start of my, of me on social media. And it led and in, fed into Frozen in a great way. But so she got a letter, she, you know, she used to get lots of letters about me, but she got a letter in specific who wanted, to, and so they decided they produced a segment around learning more about me. And, you know, so they, they, the producer called and, you know, I told them stuff that they could talk about and they put up pictures, whatever. And so it just became a really big thing. And that was when I had a really big beard and it was like a very specific beard. I had the curled mustache, it was for Frozen. And so I was really recognizable in that way. Every day stopped on the street as much as, you know, Brad Pitt, I imagine, just because it was, you know, so many people watch Wendy Williams who I didn't even know that they did. And you're also um, like, what, 6'1", six, 6'2"? Six, yeah, I'm 6'1". So, yeah. yeah, so I mean, it just is like a, it, it's a specific look to see, you know, and so I would be at the DMV and the person at the DMV was like, I just saw you on Wendy, you know. <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, in the Frozen, like um, autographs line, mothers being like oh my god aren't you barbados billy you know just it's there and then once i shave my beard for harry potter um it like completely stopped which is great <laughs> that's so amazing <laughs> oh my god and we haven't even talked about harry potter um <laughs> oh i feel god. like we're like running long should we, do, should we jump into dose of drama i Dylan? said we jump into the dose of drama mine will be related to harry potter so right. 
Okay. Um, okay. So we like to wrap up, James. I feel like there are a hundred million things we could talk about. Oh my God. We like to wrap up our show on something we call a dose of drama, which is where we just all like to share something that might be on our minds, maybe related to a piece of pop culture, world news, personal life, a piece of content you're consuming, perhaps from a memory like mine is going to be today. So my dose of drama is, I actually don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but from September of 2018 till July, 2019, I was interning and then working at the Lyric Theater on Broadway, which is where Harry Potter and the Cursed Child Parts 1 and 2 uh, is currently on pause, but in performances. Mm -hmm. And I was always running around those hallways, you know, doing whatever I could. And I was technically in like the general management office. So I didn't have much to do with the production itself. But sometimes they would have me run little errands to like bring stuff backstage. And I will never forget I, James, I used to see you all the time, which we never met while I was there yeah. because they were always like, leave the cast alone. Like, because <laughs> it was while the year two company was in, you know, prepping because you guys teched it like a musical. Like it was yeah. like, I mean, I, and I, this is just my vague knowledge of it. Cause eventually after being an intern there, I was, I became the food and beverage purchaser for like all of the. So random. <laughs> I mean, I've worked the most random jobs in the world to like get me to her. You know what I mean? Like I've, Put in the odd hard, hard yards, I suppose. But um, I remember seeing you guys doing all these different exercises and stuff. But I got to go to like the invited dress for year two, and so it was super fun. So I definitely saw you as Bane, and the body is right. But anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> I remember like day of like you know year two. It was almost like an opening night, really, for um, the, mo- the, a lot of the new company, and there were all these gifts arriving at the stage door, and I kid you not all day long was just bringing all the gifts down to the cast members uh dressing rooms because i needed like a piece of that broadway magic just bringing it down <laughs> seeing all the costumes i don't know how much i can actually say just like looking at all the costumes going in the green room all this stuff like truly wonderful and um on that note on the harry potter note i do for all the you know all, everything with jk rowling everything going on aside having her broadway's hermione as a black character is just, I think, amazing. And we were talking earlier about things we, you know, when kids are watching Frozen, they probably think about it for a second. You don't think about it. That is Hermione when you're watching it on stage. And shout out to Noma, who was absolutely incredible in that role. And um, you were great as Bane. And I wish I could talk to you about all the Harry Potter magic, but I suppose (laughs) people have just got to go see the show for themselves. Because at first they were like, eat the secrets. And then all of a sudden they were like, wait, I think we've kept it really secret. When you (laughs) you know, bring it in. But um, I don't know if that was a dose of drama. It was kind of just me spitballing some Harry Potter memes. Mm -hmm. But um, you were terrific in it. And it's truly a work of art on stage. So uh, Thanks. Yeah, it is fun. It is fun. Dylan or James, dose of drama from either of you boys? I can do mine real quick and we can finish with James. Um, Mine has been that there has been some incredible content coming out on um, all the streaming platforms. And I think this is my early pick for a Best Picture nomination at the Oscars. Wow. Bloods on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it is absolutely phenomenal. Norm Lewis, Broadway's Norm Lewis is in it. And Delroy Lindo, who is the lead, I would say the lead. I mean, it's sort of like an ensemble type cast, but I think he's given the most material. Delivers a, our friends, Sophia and Nick have a podcast called Oscar Wilde and they talk about this. So I'm stealing this from them, but they say it's almost Shakespearean, his performance towards the end. It is unreal. Watch it for for him. And it's one of Spike Lee's best, I think, that he's put out. And Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. Yes. 
Oh my, okay. So that's, this is not my bit of drama or what is it called? Dose of drama. Dose of drama. This is not my dose of drama, but I am going to create a little bit of drama right now. Ooh. I hated it. You did? <laughs> you know I what? That's okay. Did. Yeah, no, it, it totally is okay. Oh my gosh. My dad and I sat there and we were like, what is happening? Because I love Spike Lee. I love Spike Lee's mm-hmm. voice. And I also recognize that Spike Lee like does this thing, right? Like yes. he, that's a part of his voice. It's and like so, in his style. Yeah. Yeah. Like totally. I just don't know that the, the, the frame that he used, it didn't work for me, but. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's totally okay. But I, <laughs> that doesn't mean, but I do agree that the performances are great. I do believe that. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with that. I'm um, with you, James. That was my kind of takeaway too, was it, it took me a minute to get into it. And there were times I was out of it and I kind of forgot, perhaps it deserves a rewatch because everyone is saying it's like, you know, in the running for the April Oscars next year, they've already been pushed to April, but right. Delroy Lindo was incredible. And I know, I know him from the good fight, the good wife yeah. spinoff on, yeah. which films in New York, James, we got to get you booked on the good fight, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was amazing. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, the performances are really great. Um, I just don't know if I, I don't know if like there was enough payoff in the the framing of the of the of it all. But I love um, that. I think that my dose of drama. Yeah. So we kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, so now that like I'm getting a lot of followers on TikTok, and I've been creating a lot of content surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement, and I'm moving more into voting in the election because I, I for me the the actionable plan in terms of the black lives matter movement uh is policy making and and our government and education and so that comes with with electing the the right officials so i'm really starting to push that anyway so the more exposure i have on tiktok the more it actually opens up my feed to what you know people from all walks of life so now I've started getting racist comments on my TikToks, which I, I knew that would, it would come eventually because I know some other like black creators who, you know, and now that there's the function to reply to these, to, to certain comments, you can reply with a post. It's actually been the most fun content. The clapbacks are amazing. Yeah, because, you know, like it, it's it's the nature of the beast because of course the people who have these racist comments are like faceless profiles or like, you know, they're like user eight, three, six, nine, seven, nine, you know, sometimes their name, but they're never a face. And so it's easy for them to just spout out this like hateful rhetoric. And so much of it is unsubstantiated or unsupported. And, you know, and, and, and I know that, I know that, the way to end racism is never going to be us changing the minds of people who who have this learned behavior that's generational like it's just that is just not going to be the way to do it we're not going to change the minds of it the way that it's changed is by creating harsher um, consequences for racist behavior and it's by creating an education system that starts educating children who go home to that kind of environment, start educating them in an environment that is inclusive, that is showing black people, people of color, homosexuals in a way of, of love and not in a way of, of hate and starting to make, you know, because, you know, we know that so much of Gen Z 
they are an open-minded uh, generation. And so much of it is because of, of how they, what they grew up seeing and learning. And so I think that it's, um, and so all that to say, it still is fun to like eviscerate a racist, you know, for 50,000 of my followers. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, but at the same time, you know, giving, giving them facts, but also just spreading the idea that we have to vote and that we have to um, really start figuring out a way forward with this that includes changing policy, changing consequences, changing the way um, our police police, that they should be protectors, changing the idea that like a police force should be made up of the people who live in the city that they're policing, not made up of people outside the city. Mm. Um, you know, a police force in a city that's predominantly black should not be predominantly white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. all of those things. And, but they all come from policy. They all come from elections. They all come from getting involved. They don't come from us trying to make a racist think otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> James, I can't thank you enough for just your insight into everything. This has been, I mean, we've talked about like how we've been trying to educate ourselves. This has truly been like some of the most valuable hour of, of the last month for me. Like I am oh, so good. Grateful. Thank you so much. And for sharing your talents over the last 19 years on Broadway and beyond and now TikTok, of course. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to see what's next and what's beyond and all the different options for what the world will look like and what the entertainment business will look like. Totally. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Oh my goodness. Oh, of course. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Everyone can follow you on Instagram at James Brown, I, 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 the third, you know, basically. (laughs) And then on Twitter, you're at the JB, I, I, I. Yeah. And then what is your TikTok handle? It's uh, JB3, JBII. Okay. You can also find me by James Brown, the third, but yeah, JBII. I know James, so, so mad that James Brown, the third was taken on both titter, titter. Twitter and TikTok. <laughs> um, I know at this point they'll have to you, surrender the handles for you, but <laughs> I don't know if that's able to be done. I know. I don't know. But James, yes, thank you so, so much. You are wonderful and really appreciate you. Can't wait to see you soon. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. All right, everyone. You can follow us at the drama podcast and all of the information about how we're going to continue to be an active part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And Connor, I believe we will see you next time. Drama!